My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience, your 20-minute thrill ride for your commute or your workout. Biden is working hard to bring you increased taxes, lower wages, and higher energy and food prices. Thanks. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says General Milley did not tell him that he told the Chinese, we will not attack until we warn you. That's a shocker. One politician doesn't want you involved in your kid's school, and another doesn't want you to know if your child has had an abortion. Hey, we're the experts, not you. Okay, thank you. Fauci changes the definition of fully vaccinated, and I've got an uplifting story from the NFL. All that coming up on the Greg Knapp Experience. Let's go. So we'll start with what's going on with your money. They're looking to pass the $3.5 trillion spending bill on top of all the other spending bills that they've already put through when they haven't even spent all the money that they've already passed for the COVID relief bills. I mean, it's insane. And it's really not a $3.5 trillion bill. When you look at the phase-ins and the phase-outs, we're talking about $6.5 trillion over 10 years and new huge baseline spending because these programs aren't going to end after 10 years. We're talking about the highest tax increase since 1968, and we'll all pay for it in lower wages and higher prices and a decreased economy. But other than that, it sounds perfect. And Nancy Pelosi is trying to get this done. Stephen Collinson, CNN. Pelosi faces her toughest moment of truth yet. Pelosi managed to defuse one Democratic rebellion Wednesday as the House narrowly passed a measure extending the government's borrowing authority until December 2022. But she has so far failed to solve a far bigger drama splitting the Democrat Party. Hey, let's talk about that debt ceiling thing because, you know, they were trying to blame that all on the Republicans, of course. And here's the thing. If you look back, and Spencer Brown did, Nancy Pelosi tweeted about this back in January 2018 because she was on the other foot where the Republicans were having trouble increasing the borrowing. <laughs> Republicans in Congress contend to watch their colleagues across the aisle scramble, refusing to help Democrats lift the debt ceiling. Republicans reason that if Democrats want to push through trillions of dollars in spending contained within the woke infrastructure bill and the budget reconciliation package, those same Democrats should consider should shoulder the responsibility for raising the debt ceiling. Okay, slow down for a second, Greg. What 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 in, in infrastructure bill? Well, this bill was not really about roads and bridges. It redefined infrastructure to mean social spending on basically whatever they want. You know, people are infrastructure. No, people are people. Oh, they're infrastructure now. And what's the reconciliation bill? All right, this is where you go around the normal bill writing process because in the Senate, you can filibuster a bill, which means you can just keep debating it forever or actually stop it even from being debated without at least 60 votes. So even though the, the Republicans have 50 and the Democrats have 50, the Republicans could stop this thing by filibustering it. Well, the way you get around that is a reconciliation bill that's supposed to be only about spending, taxes, or debt limits in order to improve our fiscal situation. Then you don't have to uh, go around, you don't have to worry about a filibuster. They can't stop it. All you need is the 51 votes. So that would be the tiebreaker by Kamala Harris, who is the vice president. But if you lose just one Democrat, you can't do it. Right. And you got to have the Senate parliamentarian say, yes, this this can go in a reconciliation bill because there are actual rules to what can be in a reconciliation bill. So you got it. I know it's getting a little bit in the weeds, but I just wanted to make sure you got all that down. So they finally were able to increase the debt ceiling. But it's so funny because in January 2018, Pelosi tweeted out. 
This is the first time in recent memory that a government shutdown has been possible when one party, one party, has controlled the White House, House, and Senate. The Republicans own that. Do your job. Um, don't the Democrats have the White House, House, and Senate right now? Well, yeah, but that's totally different because now it's the Democrats. <laughs> you know, have you heard that anywhere on the mainstream media? Probably not. It's all the Republicans' fault. But they got it done. They got it done. And now they got to get down this big spending bill. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, could be the one Democrat that says no and the whole thing falls apart. And the Democrats, especially the progressive left and the media and, and you know, the celebrities, but I repeat myself, they're none too happy. So Senator Joe Manchin said he's made clear to the president and Democratic leaders it would be the definition of fiscal insanity to greenlight more spending despite funding shortages for Social Security and Medicare. Is he calling Joe Biden insane? Yes. And it's probably the most true thing that Senator Joe Manchin has said in a long time. He cited concerns about the potential impact to inflation and the shaky U.S. economic recovery. You got to remember, Manchin comes from a purple state in West Virginia. Uh, there are an awful lot of people in West Virginia that don't like this crazy far left wing woke spending stuff, man. They're just regular people trying to make a living and they're not too happy with what's been going on. Manchin is listening to his people. And like I said, we haven't even spent all the COVID money. Uh, more jobs are available now than job seekers. We've already got high inflation and we're going to print and spend and borrow more money. I think Manchin is onto something here. He's, he's been pressed hard though. Days of intense dialogue with top Democrats trying to get him to flip. Social programs that were left out of the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. I mean, we're spending money like there's no tomorrow. Okay, first of all, it's not infrastructure that they're trying to push. We've covered that. Second, we already have tons of social programs and we can't pay for them. You realize Social Security and Medicare right now both have trillions of dollars in liabilities that are unfunded. Manchin has yet to specify a top line number for a pared down spending bill that would have his support and they need it where they won't have enough votes. Meanwhile, Greg, uh, Craig Bannister reporting Jen Psaki, the white house spokesperson three times, three, not once, not twice, three times came out yesterday and said that Joe Biden's spending agenda has 80% support of the American people. One time she said over 80%. Then she said again, over 80%. Then she said around 80%. Well, here's the problem. There's a survey out by Rasmussen Reports on Monday. The question was this. Congress is currently deadlocked over a $3.5 trillion spending bill. Do you support or oppose passage of this bill? It's pretty straightforward, right? Was it 80%? Around 80%. Over 80%. No, 36% of voters said yes to that. 53% opposed the bill. 41% strongly opposed it. 10% say they aren't sure. I always love they aren't sure. Uh, what they really mean is I have no idea. Wall Street Journal gets into the energy prices. Crude oil hit 80 bucks a barrel on Tuesday. And OPEC warned it could skyrocket. Now we're talking about it might go up as much as 90 barrels, $90 a barrel by the end of the year. That means 10 to 20 cents more per gallon for you. Yay! After it's already gone up 175%. In many places. I mean, in California, it's outrageous. So maybe, maybe we should work on our oil production and our natural gas production. You know, we were energy independent. We were a major exporter of oil and gas. Biden comes in and reverses everything Trump did to expand that. 
First, he banned the oil and gas drilling, new oil and gas drilling on federal lands. Some judges have gone back and forth on that, and it's way down. We'll get you the details on that in just a second. Asia and Europe are having to burn more coal to keep their lights on. Coal's in short supply. Factories in China are shutting down. Local governments rationing power. Gas power generators in Asia switching to burning oil. Of course, that pushes up crude prices. That's not very environmentally friendly. Europe... They've got fuel shortages. We talked about that yesterday. Price spikes, doubling energy prices in Germany, and that's rippling through global energy markets. The demand for liquefied natural gas in Europe is soaring because the wind production is down. The solar production is down. They shut down their own coal and nuclear power plants, many of them. Lower Russian gas deliveries. Gee, can't figure out why there's a problem. Hey, here's a question. Is Biden even going to consider undoing what he's been doing to hurt our oil and gas production? Could he undo the ban on the Keystone Pipeline? But see, here's the thing. The left actually wants your gas price to go up. They want fuel shortages because they think that's going to force you to live closer to the city, to drive electric cars, which of course have to be powered from somewhere, but it'll be wind and solar and we don't have enough, but don't worry about it, it'll all be fine. And they think that that will just force us to create more wind farms, create more solar farms, and then just magically it will all work out. U.S. oil production remains 15% below pre-pandemic levels. About 20% production is off in the Gulf of Mexico because of Hurricane Ida. And U.S. oil and gas producers before the storm were curtailing investment. Why? A hostile political climate. And on Monday, energy companies scrapped a 116-mile pipeline to deliver gas from Pennsylvania to New Jersey due to regulatory obstructions. Mm-hmm. And pipeline blockades by Democratic states in the Northeast have depressed gas prices. An investment in shale in Pennsylvania, which means gas is in short supply. So that means that they'll burn more oil for electricity, which is absolutely less environmentally friendly. You know, fracking natural gas is what actually decreased the CO2 emissions in America to the point that we actually met the Paris Accords. We we dropped out of it under Trump and we're the only nation that actually met the goals in the France environmental accords. The other countries that are still in it, they didn't meet them, but we did and we're not in it. Why? Fracking, which we're told is horrible. Meantime, permits issued by the Interior Department for drilling on federal land declined from 671 in April to 171 in August. Not great. And this new bill they're trying to pass, $3.5 trillion spending, includes royalty and fee increases that would make U.S. oil and gas producers globally uncompetitive. I mean, sometimes you just got to shake your head and say, do these people have any idea how basic economics works? And the answer is no. No, they don't at all. Dollar Tree, the Dollar Tree is now breaking its dollar price tag. Wait, what? You mean I can't go in anymore and say, hey, how much is this? A dollar. How much is this? A dollar. How much is this? Sir, this is not a fun game for me. Everything's a dollar. But what about this? No, don't be that guy. After expanding nationwide from only a handful of stores in Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia, Dollar Tree is breaking the mold and will sell items in some locations that exceed the tantalizing dollar grab-and-go price. How much is this, sir? So I love this from the AP, though. They're explaining why. The cost of clothes, cars, food, and just about everything else has soared this year as the global economy emerges from a pandemic uppercut. 
Dollar Tree has not been untouched. Okay, wait a second. It's not the pandemic. It's our policies through the pandemic that have caused these shortages, that have caused shortages in materials, shortages in production, shortages in workers. We, our government, we're the ones who created this problem through the lockdowns, through our spending, through paying people more to stay home than to go to work through the eviction moratoriums that have hurt the housing market unbelievably with prices going. Look, we've created the inflation, not the pandemic. Not according to the AP. Last month, the retail chain said that rising shipping costs would take a bite of $1.50 to $1.60 out of its per share profits this year. That's huge in their business. Look, shipping is tied to fuel prices, and we just went over the problem with fuel. Don't worry, though. We're the experts. We're going to get this straightened out. Just let us centrally plan everything, and it'll all be okay. What we need to do is create more incentives. Maybe we didn't create the right incentives, or we created the right incentives at this time, but now we need to change the incentives for the next time because we've got to keep managing this. we got to, you know, centrally planning is the way to go because we're the experts. Now, just shut up and sit down. We know what we're doing. Yeah, obviously. Meanwhile, New Jersey offering unemployed people $500 to get a job. Wait, they're going to pay you to get a job? Yeah. Isn't that called a salary? Well, no, I mean, they're paying you to do the job, but we're going to pay you extra just to go get the job. I thought getting paid to do the job is why I did the job. Well, you obviously are not a politician. Unemployed New Jerseyans who return to work could get a $500 bonus in their first paycheck under a state program unveiled Monday. So wait, my taxes are going to pay people to go to work even though they get paid to go to work? You know, by the employer? Why is this guy having a hard time understanding this? Pay more not to work, then you make working, say you stay home. So now we're going to have to pay you a bonus to go back to work instead of staying home. Now you got it. Okay. It's called Return and Earn Program, and it aims to curb labor shortages caused by the pandemic, according to Governor Phil Murphy. It was not caused by the pandemic. It was caused by us locking down during the pandemic and paying you to stay home more than you would make when you go to work. It's our policies. Oh, man. How about the governments at the federal and the state and local level simply decrease taxes, decrease regulations, let us run our own businesses, let us run our own lives, and watch the economy take off again? Central planning, Greg. Yeah, that always works so well. Hey, in just a second, I'm going to tell you about Mike Pompeo and General Milley. But if you're enjoying the show, I'm asking you to be a part of this movement to combat the far less version of America and rally around what makes America exceptional. So please listen, follow, share on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you listen. Wait a second, Greg. Apple Podcasts and iTunes is the same. All right, Spotify, wherever you listen. Tell three friends to tell three friends and so on. Thanks for being part of the movement. I'll rewrite that. That wasn't great that time. Okay, we'll work on it. Thank you. Mike Pompeo served as both CIA director and secretary of state during the Trump administration. And he's on the Megyn Kelly show yesterday saying, you know what? Uh, I don't think Milley's really telling the complete truth here. Pompeo. I haven't seen General Milley knock down what Woodward and Costa wrote in the book about the Chinese. I heard what General Milley said. He actually talked about on the call with these Chinese counterparts. And I've read what has been reportedly going to be in this book. Those aren't remotely the same, and I think that's what it gets to. I spoke with my Chinese counterparts from time to time as well. Every senior leader in America would do that. But it's the substance. This is what you got to and what I saw some of the questions about yesterday. If he, in fact, said, quote, we will not attack you until we warn you, end quote, you know, to China. That's just nutty, right? That's just, and Kelly jumps in, 
You would remember that. Pompeo, it's certain that he did not tell Chief Meadows or, or I that because I don't know if he told us, he thinks he told us on the same phone call, but I can promise you that Chief Meadows would have called me immediately and said, hey, we got a real problem here. And if I'd heard it, I would have gone high and right. I'd be very surprised if that's precisely how General Milley told the Chinese that. I worked with General Milley enough, but if he told Woodburn and Costa that he said that, this is something he has to account for. That would be deeply inconsistent with his responsibility as a senior military defense advisor to the president of the United States. And it would make no tactical, operational, or strategic sense to tell the Chinese that. Because in the end, it wasn't going to be how we rolled it. It wasn't how the Trump administration rolled. We didn't warn our adversaries. We didn't tell them that there would be a date certain we'd leave Afghanistan. We were very clear. We were going to use American power to protect America's interests. And we weren't about warning our adversaries of a potential attack if it was inconsistent with our objectives. Hmm. Will anybody really drill down into whether Milley told the Chinese that? To have him say yes or no, I told the Chinese we wouldn't attack until we warned you? Highly doubtful that they will get a real answer from him. Meanwhile, Brooke Singman reporting the top Pentagon officials blame the State Department for not beginning evacuations of civilians from Afghanistan sooner. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said it was a State Department call. We provided an input, as I said in my opening statement, to the State Department. But officials were being cautioned by the Gandhi administration that if they withdrew American citizens and SIV applicants at a pace that was too fast, it would cause a collapse of the government that we were trying to prevent. Yeah, and top Pentagon officials said it was chaotic. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, who told the state to do that? I mean, or at least who's ultimately responsible for those timelines? I mean, I don't want to name any names, but I think the initials are Joe Biden. It stops at the top, man. Come on. Tim Pierce reporting the Biden administration has reportedly blocked a charter flight from Afghanistan carrying more than 100 American citizens and green card holders from landing in the U.S., they will not allow a charter on an international flight into a U.S. port of entry. That's Project Dynamo founder Brian Stern. He's the one who's on the flight that they're trying to get people out. They got out of Kabul to an airport in Abu Dhabi. Stern said the flight had been stuck on the ground for at least 14 hours awaiting clearance from U.S. Customs. 117 people, 59 children. DHS spokesman told the Daily Wire, all U.S. bound flights must follow the established safety, security, and health protocols before they're cleared for departure. This is what we get again, again and again. Wait, wait a second. So, so we flew out all kinds of people that had nothing to do with being American citizens, green card holders, or even special immigration visa people from Afghanistan, and they've made it to America, and they were not vetted. We've been told that now. They were flown to the military bases and still not really vetted properly there. They're trying to now. So why can't we have these people land and verify them as they come off the plane or send them to a military base and vet them there? Or, you know, they could just land in Mexico and later sneak in illegally and no vetting at all. I mean, no COVID test, no COVID vaccination required. That's that's really what they should do. Get them down to Mexico. Uh, maybe Haiti. Uh, that's a, David Arrow is reporting on the Virginia gubernatorial debate. You got Terry McAuliffe on the Democrat side, Glenn Youngkin on the Republican side, and they started talking about schools and Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, said, what we've seen over the course of this last 20 months is our school systems refusing to engage with parents. I don't know if you've been watching this very much, but in Virginia, it's been crazy. They've been, they've been shutting down the microphones on parents. They've been telling certain parents they can't even talk. And 
He said, in fact, in Fairfax County this past week, we watched parents so upset because there was such sexually explicit material in the library they'd never seen. It was shocking. Yeah, you know, one mother was reading out loud a book that her daughter had checked out of the library that was talking about some very graphic stuff, including anal sex. And it was so graphic that it was difficult for the people in the audience to listen to. And that's what was in the library at the school. And she's like, what? why wasn't I told that this kind of stuff's in there? Why, shouldn't I be? No, according to... Uh, the, the the Democrat gubernatorial candidate, Terry McAuliffe, who used to be the governor there. No, you don't have the right to know that. So Youngkin says, you believe school systems should tell children what to do. I believe parents should be in charge of their kids' education. The former governor said, well, parents would have had the right to veto books under the bill that I vetoed. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. Yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Well, that bill... That bill included informing parents of the books in the school and the books in their library that their kids were exposed to. I mean, listen, there's always someone or some board determining which books make it into the school library and which ones don't, which books make it into the schools in terms of textbooks and which ones don't, which books make it into the curriculum and which ones don't. So why shouldn't it be the parents that have some say-so there? Nope, not at all. So the discussion was sparked by a question about the Virginia Department of Education's new guidelines calling for school districts to allow transgender students to use the bathroom and locker room of their preferred gender identity choice. Okay, so wait a second. Literally. Now, we're talking about literally. Someone with a penis can change clothes and shower next to your daughter. That's not a joke. That's not making it up. That's not being hyperbolic. That's the truth. And somehow... You're saying that if that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you a hater. That makes you transphobic. So if a transgender person is uncomfortable in a certain bathroom and wants to go to another one, it doesn't matter how many other people are uncomfortable in that other bathroom because they're the ones with the problem. And, you know, as parents, you really shouldn't have any say-so anyway. Right. Meanwhile, Governor Newsom has signed two bills in California relating to abortion rights, and both help children hide medical information from parents, including abortions and, quote, gender-affirming care. Well, I mean, why should the parent have to know about that? You're just a parent. We're the I mean, you guys, listen, you guys are all a bunch of deplorables anyway. You don't understand, you know, what really should be happening in the world. And so we have to really parent your kid for you and get you out of the way because you're just an old fuddy-duddy deplorable. Fauci is now changing the definition of fully vaccinated. It is likely for a real complete regimen, you would need at least a third dose. He explained it's highly likely that individuals won't be considered fully vaccinated unless they get booster shots. Okay, so how many shots and for how long are we going to keep adding this on before we're deemed fully vaccinated and, you know, not fired or not allowed into a concert or a football game or allowed on an airplane or, you know, like a Border Patrol agent? Border Patrol agents are now being told if they refuse to get COVID-19 vaccinations by November, they will be fired. <laughs> so, so wait a second, we're treating people coming in that aren't vaccinated, right? We're not even giving them COVID tests, right? But if we're not vaccinated, we'll be fired? You got it. ABC News omitted former President Obama's claim that open borders are unsustainable from the televised portion of his interview. We're a nation state. We have borders. The idea that we can just have open borders is something that, as a practical matter, is unsustainable. Cut that! 
Don't let that on the air. Come on, Obama. What are you doing, man? Yep, can't put that on the air. That's horrible. No. And how about in the pop culture world? Will Smith came out. This is from Amanda Prestiacomo. Will Smith had a GQ interview, and he said that he and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, have an open marriage, and it's the highest definition of love. He called it his wife's transgressions, and he didn't look very happy, and his sad face has become an internet meme. And he said... There were significant endless discussions about what is relational perfection. And for the large part of our relationship, monogamy was what we chose. Not think of monogamy as the only relational perfection. And he said, marriage can't be a prison. And I don't suggest our road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. But the experiences that the freedoms that we've given one another and the unconditional support to me is the highest definition of love. Really? Now listen, okay, obviously Will and Jada Pinkett Smith can do whatever they want with their marriage. But I really do feel sorry for them because this is not the highest definition of love. I mean, I've been married 30 years and if my wife wanted an open marriage, I would not feel loved. Would you? I mean, they're missing true love. They're missing the trust, the openness, the intimacy that really comes by knowing this is my person. One man, one wife, one man, one woman, one lifetime means something in terms of how you relate to each other. Highest definition of love is what? How Jesus loved us, that you would lay down your life for someone, that you would sacrifice for their happiness, that it's a covenant, not a contract, that you're not just looking for ways to get back at each other. And he actually said that at the end of the interview, talking about her transgressions. He said, I'm going to get you back. She said, I think you've already done that. He said, yeah, probably true. And he emphasized getting back at her was important to him. Why? I mean, why? Why would he need to get back at her if it's the highest form of love? I mean, most of us learned in our dating lives that hopping in and out of bed with people like TV characters or movie characters is not the highest form of love and really led to a lot of pain. And finally, a little uplifting. Can we get a little uplifting story in here? Yes, Greg. Phil Shivers reporting on Denver Broncos defensive back Justin Simmons' social media post from Sunday's game. He said, I got a small story to share from I have a small story to share from Sunday's game. After every game, home or away, a group of players from both teams come together to say a prayer at midfield. It's my favorite thing about game day on Sunday, giving thanks and praise to God win or lose. Well, after the game was over, I was asked to do an interview talking about the big win. Once the interview was over, I looked behind me towards the 50-yard line, nervous I'd missed the prayer, and I did. But Teddy, he means Teddy Bridgewater, his quarterback, Teddy was there waiting for me. And he told me, Jay, I got you, man. I know you didn't want to miss this. And started praying. There's a reason God brings people into your life, depending on what season of life you're in, he explained. Teddy didn't know. I never told him, but I needed that prayer. I share this story as a reminder that God is always for you. His timing is perfect. And resting in that is fulfilling. God bless you all. Yeah, God bless you all. My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. (laughs) 